Emergency. Queen's Quest arrived. Emergency. Queen's Quest arrived. Emergency. to the queens welcome 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 ladies gentlemen and everybody inside and outside of the gender spectrum i am your host dylan murray and today i am alone i am in this little chamber of reflection that i call my bedroom alex is away soul searching in the heart of ireland and by that i mean that they're just they're just not here they they ain't really feeling it this week um I was going to be joined by some guests, but I'm also not really feeling it this week. I'm kind of getting a bit sick, and I know if I held off until I could I could schedule something with, with other people, I'd probably sound pretty terrible when it's time to record. So I've decided to try to run solo today. Uh, you know, it's, it's only the biggest news in Starm history for me to go solo on, but, you know, uh, what can you do? What can you do? Um before I get into anything, I would like to send a, a, a very special message, a, um, a rest in peace to Asahi of, of Actress Girls and formerly of Ice Ribbon, who passed away this past week. Um, it, was, it was very sudden. It, the, the news came out right around the time that the, the Rossi Ogawa news came out. Um, and obviously, this is, that it was just, it was heartbreaking, right? It was heartbreaking to hear. I'm not going to talk too much about it because... Not only is this, you know, a star on podcast, but also I, I, I'm not going to pretend like I was the biggest Asahi fan on earth. But uh, from what I saw with her, of her, she was just always such a delight to see. And she always had this this great passion and energy about pro wrestling to her that uh, will be sorely missed from the wrestling world. Um, it's, it's a real shame uh, how life works sometimes. But yeah, rest in peace to Asahi. And uh, I suppose we should get in onto the show. Uh, today we won't be doing the news bit first because everybody knows what the big news bit is and the other news came either in relation to to the Rossi Ogawa stuff or came during the show that I will be reviewing uh, today. So I'm going to kind of leave all that news for a little bit later when we dive into the meat of this episode. Instead, I'm going to start with, with some review. Yay! Um, I didn't get to watch the Starman and Kyoto show. Uh, that ended up drawing 369 fans to KBS Hall. I didn't end up watching it for obvious reasons. I, I wasn't really, you know, the pay-per-view had already happened and a bunch of shit already went down. I didn't really feel the need to watch a house show. That's my bad. But, you know, I'll, I'll still run through some of the results for you guys anyway before we get into the, the pay-per-view and, and obviously the, uh, the Rossi Ogawa news that we will be covering for the bulk of the show. Um, to start the KBS show, May Sarah defeated Sayaka Karara and Lady C in a three-way match. May Sarah won with a dropkick uh, that that defeated Sayaka Karara and uh, seemingly took her out of action the next day. I'm not sure if that was an illness or if it was an injury, but she was the only only member of the Storm roster who was not in attendance at at, at the the pay per view the next day. So I'm not sure what happened there, but May Sarah got the win in that triple threat match. Um, next up was Stars' Hazuki and Saeeda defeating Amisori and Sakikashima of God's Eye. Hazuki got the Hazuki stroll on Sakikashima. 
the Yuzuki Stroll was probably used to kind of build to that high-speed championship match, kind of bring back the old finish. And yeah, it's, it's always good to see Suzuki and Saida win a match, even when it is against, uh, you know, one of the lower-ranking teams of God's Eye uh, that you could possibly have. But speaking of God's Eye, they got the win in the next match. Shuri, Mirai, and Rani Yagami defeated Stars' Mayu Utani, Hanan, and Yuzuki. Mirai won with a Scorpion leg lock. Right? Yeah, Scorpion leg lock uh, over Yuzuki, which is a rarity to see Rani Yagami be on the winning side of a match. Uh, it's, it's a rarity, especially when it's against these ca- this caliber of worker, right? Like, Rani Yagami has a win over Mayu Utani in the books already. That's not what you would expect. Uh, but it's pretty cool to see, even though it was Mirai getting the win over Yuzuki and not a direct fall for Rani Yagami. Next up, we had the unaffiliated trio of Julia, Suzu Suzuki, and Mai Sakurai defeating the Ueda Tai trio of Natsuko Tora, Mamu Watanabe, and Ruaka. Julia defeated Ruaka with a backdrop driver, which is kind of how a lot of these matches have been going lately, is, is Julia uh, defeating Ruaka in, in the closing stretch of, of the match. Um, I made a joke on Twitter that I think that Ruaka should, should probably beat Julia on the way out. And uh, now that Julia's way out seems to be a little bit more nuanced than just her dipping, uh, her her dipping early. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe that match doesn't happen, but we will see. We will see. Um, in the semi-main event of the show, it was the young OED duo of Starlight Kid and Rena defeating Cosmic Angels, Soriano, and Yuna Mizumori. Rena actually defeated Yuna Mizumori with the Hydrangea, uh, the move passed down to her by the the legendary Hanakamura. Um, this is to build to Kid and Ano's title match the next day. And yeah, that's. We've been seeing these matches for the past like two weeks, so I, I don't know. Uh, even if I watched, I don't know if I would have much more to say. Um, and then the main event Queen's Quest got the win. It was Utami Hayashista, Sai Kamatani, Azumi, and Miyu Amasaki defeating uh, Empress X Venus, or EXV for short, Micah, Minashirakawa, Hanako, and Wakasukiyama. Miyu Amasaki actually defeated Wakasukiyama uh, for the win in her hometown. She won with the Tensei, the Go to Heaven, as I call it. And she got to close the show once again in her hometown, uh, as Hanako also got to talk on the mic briefly, because it is also her, home t- her hometown. But, uh, you know, Miyu is Miyu. With all that being said, it is time to get on to the pay-per-view. It was Stardom Supreme Fight 2024. 13th anniversary. Uh, this took place inside Osaka Edeon number one. It drew 1,377 fans. I'm not quite sure how that stacks up against their previous endeavors in Osaka number one, but the crowd looked lively enough. It might not have sounded lively enough, but it, it, it looks pretty packed. So I imagine it was at least a solid number for them there. To start the show, it was a fatal four-way match between Mai Sakurai, Hanako, Raniyagami, and Ruaka. Uh, Mai Sakurai won with the escargot over Raniyagami after putting both Ruaka and Hanako in the Paradise Lock. Because everybody knows you are in paradise when you're watching Mai Sakurai. Um, she then then did the uh, the you know speech. She she you know talked her shit afterwards. Ruaka ran away before she got to call her a. a, a 
classless person. I, I don't really remember how those my Sakurai promos go. I usually skip them, um, or they aren't translated. But that was that match uh, on the pre-show. And the second pre-show match was a win for Wingori, New Blood Tag Team Champions. It was a non-title match. They won over Amisore and Saki Kashima. Hanan actually defeated Saki Kashima with the 17 to win the match for her duo this was this was solid you know Ida sold Ami's chops pretty well and um you know there wasn't a ton to it I wouldn't say but I think Saki had a had a good showing here and other than that it was just a it was a serviceable match from two serviceable teams uh to to be the prelude to the main show beginning and the main show did eventually begin it took a little bit the main show began with a future of stardom championship match between champion rena and yuzuki rena defeated yuzuki in nine minutes and eight seconds with the pink devil which is the gory bomb that she uses um as a as a you know impact finisher uh this match was really good um i, I especially for the future of stardom championship which has been kind of hit or miss um over the past year and a bit probably a year and a half now um Oh, this is quite good. This is probably uh, one of Rena's best, along with the Azusa Inaba match from from later last year. Uh, this was this was quite good. Yuzuki continues to kind of improve and show just how good she can be. Um, Rena's heat in the early stuff was was a bit weak, but I do think that Yuzuki's comeback and then Rena's you know the the back and forth near the end really brought this match to a a high level. Um, Yuzuki debuted. Saki uh, Akai's old finish, I believe, um, or as I know it because I'm a New Japan mark, uh, the Resetamente, which is Master Wado's finish. She she went for it, but then Rina reversed it, and, and Yuzuki could not get it all the way. Possible that that is her new impact finisher eventually, when she gets to kind of actually hit it. But um, yeah, Yuzuki looked great. The near falls were really, really good near the end. I was, I was genuinely in suspense um, up until the final bell. After the match, Rina, uh, who claimed V5 with this victory, started screaming at her sister, who was ringside supporting her opponent, because uh, Rina just loves yelling at Hanan. That's like her favorite thing to do ever. Um, and yeah, that, that was that match. It was really fun. I think Yuzuki will be a great future Storm champion when she gets it. Uh, and that feels like more of a, a win and not an if. Like I feel like she, she will definitely be, if not a future Storm champion, she'll be a singles champion sooner rather than later in this company depending on on how things go in the future um i'm starting to realize how difficult it is to kind of like you know look forward given all of the the chaos surrounding the future for this company but you know that's besides the point let's let's move on into the announcement that uh the mina shirakawa versus mayu otani match will take place at the new beginning in sapporo on the 23rd of february as the same show that features Shota Umino versus Evil and Nick Nemeth versus David Finley. Um, yeah, Mayu Utani on the same show as Dolph Ziggler. That's crazy. Like, I'm I'm excited for that show. <laughs> I'm excited for that show. What what one hell of a show, if you ask me. Um, interesting. This is the first time since since Sakura Genesis that a a women's match has been on a New Japan show in in Japan, uh, and we will see how that goes. Right? I mean the the IWGP belt. Has felt like it's kind of been getting a bit more oomph to it in the past couple couple months since uh, I think a lot of people kind of pinpoint it as since Tana's been appointed the president. They've kind of been like, you know, 
it hasn't just been stagnant for for several months but it also might just be because it's the beginning of the year and there's more time to to focus on it uh, but we will see as as we move forward that match will be really fun at the new beginning in Sapporo um also Mina Shirakawa has always been a really big New Japan fan so I imagine it's a, a kind of a dream come true for her to get to wrestle on on that show on that stage um on the 23rd Next up, onto on back onto in ring action, it was uh, Queen's Quest members Mio Masaki and Lady C falling to Natsuko Tora and Momo Watsunabe. Momo Watsunabe actually beat Lady C with the Bastard Driver. Wait, no, it was it was actually just the B Driver, was it? Was, did she hit the Bastard or the B Driver? I don't, I don't got that right written down. I apologize. Yeah, it was just the B Driver. That's tough. That's tough for Lady C. I thought this match was good. <laughs> she didn't even get her. She didn't even get her C finisher. She got like. Her, her, like, you know, F-plus finisher that she hasn't beaten anybody with in years. It's crazy. Um, I thought match was pretty good because it was a lot more of a story of the baby faces than the story of the heels. It's just that the heels won. Um, and I appreciate that. I think when Oedo Tai is kind of the main character of a match, it kind of starts to drag a bit more than, than some, some other matches. I think this match was kind of an example of, even though Momo and Natsuko were in control for most of it. The the real life of the match was Miu's, um, you know, Miu's comeback and Miu's comeback uh, against two bigger, you know, more more intimidating opponents. Lacey was also in it, uh, and she did good for what she did. But yeah, I thought it was just a fun little match, a lot more fun than I even expected because on paper it doesn't look particularly interesting, but I, I had fun with it, uh, no doubt. Onto a match I didn't particularly have fun with. It was the Tam Nakano return match. Uh, Tam Nakano and Yuna Mizumori defeated Mina and Wakasukiyama of EXV. Tam defeated Waka with the what? What did what did she win with? Um, with her finish. What's her finish called? I'm sorry, guys. I'm trying my best. Uh, I, I I'm if you couldn't tell, I'm way more prepared for the for the Rossi stuff than I am for the review. I feel like I'm all shaken here. Um, yeah, Tam won with a Dragon Suplex. I thought this match was weak. Honestly, I, I felt like it was it was uh, going for a limb targeting direction, but then it just it just kind of like fell apart. And I think that's kind of happens with limb targeting matches a lot in Stardom, but this match was like a real victim of it because. Mina and Waka were going so hard on Tam's leg, uh, and that was such a big part of the first bulk of the match, that Tam eventually got the tag out to Yuna. Yuna did a couple of things for maybe like a minute and 20 seconds, tagged back out to Tam, and her leg was completely fine. <laughs> like, that was just, that just completely took me out. Um, yeah, I wasn't crazy about this, but then again, this match wasn't for me, right? This match was for all the Tam Rotors out there. Shouts out, Valke. Um, it, it was for all the people excited to rock mile two of the Tam Road um, going forward as she did win with her finish, and then she eventually would come out later on the night to to set up something for the future that we will definitely talk about. So, um, yeah, not really my type of match. I thought that it, it fell apart in certain places that I wasn't too fond of, and yeah, but I'm not gonna dwell too much on it. It was it wasn't a bad match. It was just not really the match I wanted to see. Next up was May Sarah successfully defending her high speed. Well, walking away with her high speed championship, she went to a 15 minute draw against Hazuki. Uh, this was yet another 
good defense from May Sarah. Uh, she's had several of those, but I would say that this was by far her best. Um, and this is one of my favorite matches of the year. I think I, I kind of messed up my wording there when I said this was good. This was one of the best matches of the year. Um, I love this to death. I thought it was super fun to see these two. I think Hazuki is somebody that you, she's a real treat to see in these high-speed matches. You know what I mean? I think that we don't really get to see it often. As I said before, she hasn't taken a loss uh, in a high-speed title match in, you know, uh, what, eight years, nine, no, eight, yeah, around eight years, maybe seven years, eight years. In a singles high-speed title match, it's been even longer. So you don't really get to see Hazuki put into the sort of position too often, but when you do, it's so, so fun. Um, I thought that there were there was this real energy to this match that the only thing that like kind of let me down was the crowd reaction which i was told was partially because of the microphones the the crowd miking has notoriously been bad for stardom in the past and and i was told that that might be the issue here because this match was so absurdly good you don't usually want these like intricate submission uh back and forths in high speed title matches but they just worked so well here it felt like every time one of them would lock in one of their submissions it would just compound on on the one previous right near the end hazuki got got may sarah in like a she grabbed all of her limbs and just stretched right and i was like how does may sarah not lose right now and i i thought it, that was so fun i thought things like that really made this match what it was, you know, May Sarah is putting in such great work um, as high speed champion, as a singles wrestler, and as a tag team with with Suzu Suzuki. That this was kind of what she was due was this like star making performance, one of the one of the best matches of the year, one of the best high speed title matches in a long time, probably for me since like Azumi May Saruga uh, two years ago now. Like it, it's been a while since I've seen a high speed match this good, and and for that matter, it's been a while since I've seen a fifteen minute time limit draw that was this good. Um, this was a great match. Obviously, I think that uh, the events of the week kind of took away from this being one of the best matches of the year, especially one of the best women's matches of the year, one of the best junior style matches of the year. But I, I think this will be one that we look back on as like a moment for May Sarah that really cemented her as like next up right i think people are kind of questioning you know if she can live up to an azumi uh because of the lack of of talent pool in the high speed division right now you know let's face it there's not a lot of people down there so hizuki going down there and really you know going hold for hold with her really bringing the energy you know they, they really impressed me here they really killed each other here um, at one point, I, I do want to note that Hazuki's suicide dives looked so dangerous that I think she might like have gotten very much hurt if there weren't seconds, just because of how frantically she would hit them. She hit all three of them, and I was just like, "This this chick is insane." It was great. I absolutely loved this match. Like I said, the only criticism I have of it was that the crowd didn't sound as hype for it as I was. You know, what I mean, I, I think that was really honestly the the only thing i i disliked about this match everything else was so good it hit on such a high level um and after the match suzuki put the high speed championship over miss Sarah's shoulder uh and patted her on the head kind of you know giving her the rub even if she didn't put her over in a in a you know uh, getting pinned by her sense 
Like, I, I think that was a really nice touch. It also ended with Mesera having the advantage, right? Like, Hazuki hit the brain buster, which you expect to end the match, but Mesera immediately turned it back on her with her momentum and, and got a near fall um, as the 15-minute time limit expired. I thought that was also a great spot that I really, really appreciated um, throughout this match. So if you're going to check out any match from the show, I would recommend it be Mesera versus Hazuki. Next up was another very, very good match. It was the anniversary tag team match. It was Shuri, Mirai, Susa Suzuki, and Julia losing to Tommy Hayashishita, Azumi, Nanai Takahashi, and Mayu Iwatani. Mayu Iwatani defeated Suzu Suzuki with the Moonsault to win it for the homegrown talents on this match. Um, Tekla came out for this match to join Japanese commentary for some reason. I don't know. It didn't really. I still don't know. I'm going to be real. I still don't know why the fuck she went out there. Like, I mean, she just left like a month ago. Like, I think it was like a month almost to the day. No, it was a month to the day of this show that she left. So it's not like she's been gone. Like, she thought she was Scott Hall. Like, you know, shouts out to Tecla. I'm happy she's back. But, like, what? I don't know what that was. On to the match itself. This was super fun. I thought that the first few minutes were just kind of them doing cool stuff. But then eventually it got really cutthroat and really fun. The little combinations of people in this match, both opponents and as partners, was so fun to see. Um, Everybody pulling Julia's braids was very funny to me. I I just needed to let everybody know that. Um, I found that fucking hilarious. And beyond that, there were just great pairings here, you know? Uh, Shuri Izumi was good. Uh, Utami and Mirai was fun. Mayu and Suzu was good. Uh, Nanai and Mirai, they only had a couple interactions, but I was kind of like, oh, damn, they're, like, killing each other, and it's, like, working, you know? Haven't seen that before, because previously they didn't really work very well together um, for one reason or another. But, yeah, I, I uh, it's probably you. Um, but... I will say, I thought every pairing in this match was super fun. The Nanai Mayu assisted springboard gimmick that I'm sure everybody has seen, um, even if they haven't seen this match in full, I'm sure you've seen it on Twitter somewhere, was so beautiful, so well done. They always try to run it, but it doesn't always work. This time, it worked like a beauty. It was so, so fun. Um, There are a few more spots I'm not just going to run down, but this was was a great match. I, I really enjoyed it. Mayu killed Suzu with the Dream Dream Dropkick and then won. Uh, It it was a headshot, which sometimes recently Mayu's been kind of hitting them in the chest. This time it looked like she was decapitating homegirl. So I I really appreciated that. After the match, Anai and Shuri butted heads outside the ring, screaming passionately at each other, uh, having a passion party, as Tekla said on commentary. Next up was the semi-main event of the evening. It was Starlight Kid versus Sayori Ano. Sayori Ano won with the Japanese Cyclone? No, the Japanese Ocean Suplex. I knew one of the words wasn't in there. Um, In, uh, how long did this match go? In 17 minutes and 42 seconds. This is V1 for Sayori Ano. Uh, New gear on both sides. I thought the gear from both of them was really cool. I do really like Starlight Kid's gear, the Ashless Chaps uh, with the trunks. I think kind of goes crazy and uh yeah i also think ano's gear is just so absurdly good the white and gold or the white and blue uh with with little accents of purple is just so perfect for ano like it's the perfect color scheme and i 
really like the lighter white. She debuted the gray, uh, the gray and blue kind of thing. I liked that, but I really like this gear a lot. It's one of my favorite gears I've seen from her um, to date. Uh, and for me, I thought this match was good. I thought Ano had a good performance. I thought Kid also, she didn't have a bad performance. It was the best performance she's had in quite a while, I will say. But uh, I, I will say I wasn't as into this as some people were. Surprise, surprise. I think it kind of slowed down too much in comparison to the high-speed title match and the the big you know eight-person tag. It, it kind of was very noticeable how much slower this match was. And that's not always an issue, but I also just don't think these two meshed well enough to really like hit as hard as you would want it really enter that next gear I, I don't think it really did that it was a good performance from both of them Ano kind of showed off that she can do these big matches in stardom she's had a hard time very very notably against Mirai and and I would say against Natsupoi but that was not really her fault it was it was a strap match and it kind of had that whole thing to it but I, I do think that this kind of showed that Ano does have something right as a big match wrestler here uh, because I, I think some people kind of started thinking, well, maybe Ano's just better as a tag person, right? Which, there's no shame in that. I think tag team wrestling is is just as, if not better, than a lot of singles wrestling, uh, especially in Japan. But I, I do think that she's kind of showing that she can have these big matches um, as Wonder of Storm champion. But this match, again, wasn't really for me. I thought it was good. Like, I, I didn't think this was bad by any means. I thought it was a lot better than the Tam tag match. Um, but I did have, you know, just that like, oh, like that was fun. That was cool mentality leaving. It. I didn't really, uh, I didn't really take much from it. I guess you can say I do love Ano using the Japanese ocean suplex. I think that's sick, but yeah, that was a pretty fun match. Happy Ano won. Uh, and that's pretty much all I got to say about that. Next up was the main event of the evening. It was the World of Stardom Championship match between Micah and Saya Kamatani. Micah defended the red belt for the first time with the Michinoku driver number two with a hammerlock, which if you guys listened last week, I called. I'm pausing for applause here. Yeah, I did it. What a what a snipe, by the way. Like that's so. I'm I was really happy that she hit that. But uh, this match as a whole, I thought was really really good. It was uh, one of the better matches of the year. I, I don't have as a match of the year contender necessarily, but I do think it was one of the the better matches of the year that I've seen so far. It was just really fun. I mean, these two. It's hard to go wrong with Sai Kamatani and and Micah. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I don't know when the last time I've seen them have a bad match together is. And I don't know if I ever have, because even their their early future stuff was typically pretty fun, even if it wasn't, like, great. But I thought this match was super fun. I, I, I had a good time with it. Not as good as the match where Micah challenged Sai Kamatani for the white belt um, in Fukuoka, I believe. That match was, uh, I would say, around as probably probably decent amount better than this one. Uh, because I don't think they even did everything here. I, I I think they have a lot more that they could have done. And even without all of that, they still had a tremendous match, right? Um, since Alex isn't here, I feel kind of weird running through all of the all of the spots and whatnot. But I will say, having got to see the Phoenix shine for the first time, 
uh, I, I was very much impressed. It, it, it kind of is like a cutthroat choke with a banana split, which doesn't sound like a thing that can happen. Like, Sai Kamatani is a mad woman. I don't know. How does she make submissions that even don't that break your brain. You know what I mean? Usually it's pretty easy to understand submission. I don't, I, I looked at this for so long, got no clue what the fuck it is, but I thought it was, it was a beautiful submission. I thought a lot of the spots in this match were super well done. I loved Micah's arm work on Saya early on. And as I said last week, because Saya hurt her left arm, um, it allowed her to still have that comeback with the big exchange with the forearm exchange you know what i mean which i think you know if you're gonna if you're gonna break something obviously i hope you don't if you're gonna break something breaking your non-dominant arm or at least breaking the arm that you don't use the most in a wrestling match usually works for the best when it comes to selling that injury later down the line um yeah that was match super good my a uh, nitpick obviously because i always have them so I would have loved to see Micah kind of target the arm a little bit more near the end, right? She she hit the Michinoku driver uh, kick out, which, you know, I'm not crazy about. I don't really like it when people kick out of the Michinoku driver number two, but I, I was okay with it. I kind of wish from there she, I don't know, like hit a divorce court or or just, you know, hit something that kind of targeted the arm one more time, kind of brought it back to your attention and then hit the hammerlock Michinoku driver number two. I think that would have been really cool because I think the finish was like, oh yeah, she was working her arm. That's cool. Instead of like it being like, oh, well, obviously that's what you would go for. I had a similar issue actually with Okada versus Danielson from New Japan earlier this earlier this year, um, where it's just like, I kind of wish that the, the hurt arm played a bit more into that last, you know, that last kind of few minutes of the of the match, it's it's a nitpick, but it is just one of those things. Um, I really like this match, though. I, I I know that kind of sounded like I didn't, but I I did really enjoy it. Thought it was super fun. Um, and Micah wins V one. It's a big deal for her. I'm very happy for her. Um, the the hitters te- keep coming though because right after the match, Micah called out Tam Nakano, who came out. Further burying my Mina's limb work by stomping around the ring to show everybody that her leg does not hurt even a little bit because Mina Shirakawa cannot do leg work apparently in kayfabe. That's what she told me. Um, yeah, they Tam called out or Mike called out Tam rather for a match in the future for the red belt, and uh, that wasn't announced when they will run it, but that was that was the end of of the show in terms of the. The action. After that, Micah invited everybody out to the ring, including Rossi Ogawa and including Oedo Tai. And they had a big roster photo with everybody in attendance, including wrestlers like Aya Sakura and, and Hina and Koguma and, you know, Momokogo, people who we haven't really seen on on screen in like a long time. They were all there, everybody except for Karara Sayaka, who, like I said, uh, either fell with illness or fell to an injury the day before. I believe she's healthy again. I believe she tweeted that she will be back and working this weekend. Um, we don't know. The cards have been announced. But 
yeah, everybody was there to, to you know, celebrate the 13th anniversary of the company, or so we thought. And yeah, it was a beautiful photo. It's the cover of Shoe Pro magazine this week. And yeah, great way to end the show. Backstage, Mina and Micah noted that Xena will be coming back very, very shortly, and that they plan on challenging for the artist belts alongside the Touch of Thunder. I believe that is her nickname. Um, yeah. I was a very fun show. I had a great time watching it. Uh, I had a great time watching it live. It, it felt like, even for a minute, it felt like stardom was back, right? The May Sarah versus Hazuki match especially just made you feel excited for what's next. And um, while I still think there's reason to be excited, I did not expect what happened the very next day when I got on Twitter. All right, so after a little personal intermission, I don't know if you guys know, but talking alone for a half hour is not very easy, especially when you have a sore throat. Not the funnest stuff in the world. But after a little intermission for me and a lot shorter of an intermission for you, I am back to talk about the big news, which is that following the show on the 4th, Rossi Ogawa was fired. Um, his contract was canceled by Bushi Road Fight and by extension by Stardom. Um, I I'm sure if you're if you're listening to this, you definitely already knew at least that much. I have a general timeline that I'm gonna kind of run through before I give my thoughts and like where my head is at. Kind of want to talk about you know some of the parallels to other things and and just some of my opinion. Uh, but first, I'm gonna go through this little timeline. Of, of what happened that we know about from late last year, what Okada, Taro Okada, the the head of Bushiroad Fight and the new booker of Stardom, what his timeline since then has been, and what Ogawa's timeline since then has been, those two obviously via their recent Tokyo Sports interviews. Um, so to go through a little bit of the timeline, uh, as everybody knows, Rossi and his staff ran the day-to-day aspects of Stardom, from its inception until around 2022, even even after the Bushiroad purchase in 2019, Rossi and his staff were still heavily involved in the day-to-day aspects, in the booking. Rossi was the booker uh, with, with little outside opinion, outside of, oh, well, I hope she gets booked. She should get booked better. She should get pushed a bit more than her or whatever. Outside of those sorts of things, as far as everybody knows, Rossi was at the head of the ship and didn't get much pushback from Bushiroad Fight. That, however, changed either in late 2022 or early 2023 when, over time, Rossi started to become overruled by Bushiroad a bit more often. You know, I, I think over time, you start to kind of notice that last year where it's like, oh, that doesn't feel like a Rossi decision. That feels like a, a very out-of-the-norm thing for a booker who relatively speaking has a pretty consistent style you know you there are rossi moves and there are non-rossi moves and you can kind of point them out if you've been watching for for long enough in certain senses um and there were certain things that you could just see that it just felt like it wasn't you know what would have made sense what he would have done a few years prior right and and i think that kind of was echoed by a lot of testimonies by rossi and by julia last year and uh by sunny as well and so along with Rossi kind of getting his his position taken away from him, getting his his say taken away from him, 
um, the staff that Rossi's Rossi's personal staff, the Stardom staff, and not the Bushiroad staff. Um, Stardom staff began to have less of an impact on the company, right? Communication between the Stardom staff and the Bushiroad fights to people was was practically non-existent per per Sunny on the on the Wrestling Observer boards back in the day, right? Uh, that was late last year, I believe, that he was talking about that. It's like it's not a very harmonious relationship these days between Stardom and Bushiroad fight. Um, and, and by then it was, it was Rossi who decided that he wanted to leave. Uh, initially he wanted to retire, uh, and at the end of his contract with stardom, he, he told higher ups in November of 2023 that he was planning on leaving and, um, it was met with minimal pushback, right? Uh, Taro Okada, who, who eventually did replace, the former head of Bushiroad Fight, who many believed uh, Katsuhiko Harada, the former head of Bushiroad Fight, was the the problem, um, and was what was kind of brewing that that you know disagreement, the separation, the lack of harmony. Uh, but you know, still, when when Harada got fired in November 2023 and was replaced with Okada, uh, Rossi still had the plan to leave stardom at the end of his contract, to retire at the end of his contract um, as of November. And as of December or January, I couldn't really pinpoint a date, Okada said that uh, even if Ogawa leaves and even if he does form a new company, uh, he would love to continue to work with him in the future in some ways, whether it be talent share or I believe in, in the Ogawa Tokyo Sports article, it, it was o- Ogawa said that Okada kind of wanted him to do a joint show for the 15th anniversary of stardom in the event that Ogawa's new company, potential new company was of health by then and was, you know, up and running. And, you know, if, if Ogawa were to start a new company, Okada said, Hey, I would love to work with you um, in some way, even if we are in rival companies at that time. And that's where the timelines kind of split, right? I, I think that's when it kind of became two sides of the story, though you could still kind of, decipher what the truth is i I think that there's a a pretty clear middle ground for me at least in in a lot of these situations um that you know even if even if one person's saying something that's more in favor of themselves it still kind of makes sense overall uh the gist of it at least so so first i'm going to go through okada's timeline since uh since november when rossi said that he was planning on leaving uh, retiring when he when he said he was planning on retiring, uh, despite his his perceived plans of retiring, Okada heard that Ogawa was attempting to poach wrestlers from Stardom um, to a new company that potentially he was planning on starting. Um, the WWE stuff it turned out to be completely fake. In case you guys were were wondering that, not fake, but it, it was a bit misconstrued. the The reason why the WWE stuff came up was because. Julia was not using an agent to discuss things with WWE. Uh, instead, she was being or she was being represented by somebody that was unnamed. Many presumed that to be Rossi Ogawa, um, though I I don't believe that was the case. I think that the the Rossi part of it will come in later when we when we discuss the Julia of it all. But yeah, so so. Kata heard that Ogawa was attempting to poach wrestlers away from stardom. He told him to stop, and Ogawa didn't stop, allegedly. 
in January. He continued to poach wrestlers, uh, leading to the decision that Ogawa would not be given the option to resign with the company when his contract expires in March. So while Ogawa was already planning on leaving as of March, uh, it, it became an issue of, of Bushiroad Fight no longer has any plans to to work with him uh, in that sense. Um, Okada did kind of still, the, the idea of them working together later down the line was still present. As I said, I believe that was a January discussion, but uh, the the relationship between Bushiroad Fight and Ogawa is starting to worsen in 2024 with January. Uh, on January 21st, Stardom staff and roster were alerted that Rossi would be leaving the company in March when his contract expired. Um, however, even more alleged poaching occurred in the last two weeks of Rossi's tenure in stardom, leading to him getting suddenly fired at the 13th anniversary event on February the 4th. Okay, that's all Okada's timeline. As for Ogawa's timeline, things were a little bit different. Ogawa planned on retiring not only because his role was being reduced, but because of what he perceived to be harassment, mismanagement, and overreaching from Bushiroad Fight that was negatively affecting the morale of the roster. To the point that Ogawa says, many members of the roster said, hey, if you leave, I'm not staying here. I don't want to re-sign here if you're not here, Rossi. So... With that in mind, Ogawa decided instead of retirement that he would leave stardom and create a new company. Um, and because of because of that, the roster and the staff began to hear rumors, uh, which he says is why people believe that was poaching. It, it, it turned out that Rossi, according to Rossi, <laughs> wrestlers were going to him asking to jump ship alongside him, right? Uh, so he wasn't going to the wrestlers trying to get them to break their contracts or trying to contract tamper. The wrestlers were going to him asking him if they have a spot on his roster when he leaves and creates a new company and when their contracts expire. Uh, and then because of this, because he believed it was perfectly harmless from his point of view, from his in on his standpoint, uh, he was shocked when he was uh, he was levied with allegations of poaching, and suddenly fired in February. So it is a bit of a he said, he said, he said, um, because it's all a matter of like, oh, who went to who, right? Did Ogawa go to wrestlers and be like, hey, I want you here? Or did the wrestlers go, oh, I, I want to go with Ogawa. He's starting something new. I want to go over there. Personally, I imagine, and this is a very centrist take, I apologize, I imagine it was a mix of both. <laughs> like, I imagine there were certain people that Ogawa was like, oh, well, I'm starting this, I need to ask them to come with me. But I also imagine that, you know, Julia's testimony from last year, she she did that interview where she was like, yeah, Bushiroad fight fucking sucks, and they're ruining everything about stardom. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if someone like a Julia went to Ogawa and was like, yo, let me come with you. Or someone like an X or a Y, you know? Like, there's still no names outside of Julia that have been outright noted to be going from stardom to Rossi's, uh, you know, potential new company. But you, you got to imagine that that wasn't like a, 
her standing alone as somebody who saw there were issues with how Bushu would fight was was handling business for stardom and wanted to go with Rossi when he left. So I'm kind of a centrist in that sense that I think that like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Ogawa wasn't perfectly, um, he wasn't completely blameless in the situation. But I also, I also don't think that he had, like, I think that there probably is some truth to what he is saying that the, the stuff going on backstage led to roster members and staff members wanting to go with him in the event they started something new. I think that makes sense. Um, but as for some some general notes, I did want to also add outside of these of these two Tokyo Sports articles was some stuff from Dave Meltzer, um, which included that a lot of contracts are expected to end in March, much like much like Rossi's was supposed to. A lot of contracts uh, will seemingly expire in March, and even Okada in his Tokyo Sports interview said that we should expect some high-ranking members of the roster to attempt to leave as soon as their contract is is up um obviously dave Meltzer also reported earlier today that julia like i said is the first name that will be taking part in rossi's company before eventually going to wwe apparently she gave him her word that that she would be at least for for the the mean like for the next few months for for a brief period of time she will be helping him uh, get the company off the ground at least as a talent. I'm not sure if if that implies anything backstage, because that wouldn't really make sense, now would it? Um, beyond that, Mayu is unable to leave anytime soon due to the length of her contract. Her movie, which comes out in the next few months, has made it so that she, instead of a lot of wrestling contracts in Japan, has had a multi-year contract or signed a multi-year contract either last year or the year prior which means that she will not be able, it's unlikely she'll be able to leave this year. Um, I personally think that Mayu, if she was able to, would be the first person <laughs> trying to get the fuck out uh, and join Rossi Ogawa at his new company. But because she isn't able to do that, uh, only time will tell how the rest of her tenure in stardom goes without Rossi Ogawa at the helm. Obviously, Mayu and Rossi, super close. You know, Mayu has said on multiple occasions that she she basically owes her life to Rossi Ogawa, and I, I'm not sure how her morale will be um, going forward on the stardom roster. Um, looking at stardom a little bit, Taro Okada and Oyama, who was a Bushu Bushu fight executive, I believe, in the merchandise department. I do not have that written down, sorry. Uh, they will be taking over booking of stardom, both novices. Uh, Taro Okada has played a big role in booking stardom in the past few months, but like as a as a sole booker, as as two people who with no oversight, with no general direction of an of a Nogawa, could could spell some some problems for the stardom side of things. Uh, furthermore, some wrestlers were threatened with lawsuits. Uh, notably younger wrestlers was specified with lawsuits over potentially breaching their contract to leave with Ogawa. So um, I'm not sure if that implies that they were forced into signing new contracts or if that just means that they will have to wait a little bit longer before they could even, you know, try to leave. And, and you know, I'm not really sure what that implies there, but that is a, a note from Meltzer 
that there were some lawsuits that were threatened. Not, you know, laid out, not nothing like that, but there were some lawsuits that were, you know, uh, hey, this is illegal, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that type of thing. Maybe you should sign again, like, you know, th that type of stuff from the Bushy Road office. Um, and beyond that, some of the reactions from wrestlers, I, I didn't write every single one of them down, but uh, there are certain wrestlers on the roster who sound very ready for the future of stardom and some wrestlers that sound very ready for the future blank, right? Uh, Micah is probably the most notable one who, in a Tokyo Sports article today, just said she was fucking pissed that her moments keep on getting stolen as both of her Red Belt Championship match victories have been tainted by one thing or another. At Dream Queendom, the, the, uh, the stream went down as she was winning the championship and nobody was able to see it live, or at least very few people were. And now this, with her first defense of the championship, with her parents present, her family present, was kind of, you know, overshadowed by Rossi Ogawa's farewell. She also says that she plans on, you know, guiding the company forward, regardless of what happens from here. Um, though she does wish Rossi a friendly farewell from the company. Um, beyond that, both Unagi Sayaka and Jungle Kiona are two former star wrestlers that I found it very interesting, retweeted Rossi's tweet about leaving the company, or about getting fired, rather. I, I found it especially notable with Jungle Kiona because uh, since her injury last year, since her surgery, she has been pretty radio silent on Twitter. So for the first thing for her to retweet on Twitter in several months being Rossi saying, I'm out of here. It's an interesting note. I, I also feel similarly with Unagi Sayaka. It kind of leads me to speculate, and again, this is pure speculation, that their departures from the company were more a matter of disagreements with management than with Rossi Ogawa himself. Um, again, that's, that's more speculation than anything, but I, I do find that interesting that those two specifically were like, you know, very active, very quick to you know, retweet and Unagi, I believe, <laughs> said that Rossi Ogawa is engaging in his Gyan period, um, which is obviously Unagi's catchphrase. And yeah, I just thought that was an interesting kind of tidbit to, to mention. And lastly, and probably not important very to most of you, uh, Sanshiro Takagi, the owner and runner of TGPW, NOAA, and DDT, noted that he personally supports the idea of Rossi um, opening up his own company wholeheartedly because it will reinvigorate the Joshi scene and it can kind of take stardom down a peg. Uh, he didn't say that last part, but that's definitely what he meant. Um, and yeah, that's all the notes I have about the actual situation. Um, I'm not going to sit here and speculate about who I think is going to jump. All I'm going to say is I, I definitely think the homegrowns are the most likely to that you should keep an eye on, right? Um, like I said, I think Mayu was like gonna be the most obvious one if she could, but uh, with with her contract seemingly not running out anytime soon, it's not gonna happen. I, I also imagine Nanai, who I believe doesn't have a contract, she's still freelance. I imagine Nanai also goes with Rossi because and I've always said this: unless unless Nanai's getting the book. 
I think she's there for Rossi and she's not there for Bushiroad fight stardom. You know, I, I think it's a different animal for Nanai. So I imagine that we will be seeing Nanai also leaving with Rossi Ogawa. Otherwise, I'm not going to speculate too, too much. Um, if Alex is back next week, we will probably speculate a little bit more and there will definitely be more information by then. But I do kind of want to know how unprecedented this is, right? Um, or I guess precedented is, is what I meant to say, but it's been a long time, right? So what some people seem to not recognize is that uh, uh, Ogawa has done this before. And, and by this, I mean leading an exodus out, out of the biggest company in, in Joshi, right? In 97, Ogawa and Ogawa had a camp and Kyoko Inoue both had a camp and they both decided to do it together uh, by staging an exodus out of AJW due to business reasons and uh, pay concerns and uh, several reasons that I'm not going to jot down right now. But they both staged an exodus from AJW and left the company barren. Um, however, and Alex actually specifically wanted me to note this, uh, he texted me a little bit earlier, but I also thought about it as well. I think that this could lead a bit more to what we saw in 1992 with the JWP split. So the original JWP was one promotion throughout the 80s. Um, tensions brewed backstage between certain wrestlers and other wrestlers, um, namely the quote-unquote shooters of, led by Shino Kandori and the uh, performers. I, I forget what they were called. I believe it is the performers, um, similar to actress girls. Um, I'm not quite sure what they were called, but two camps within the original JWP that were very much at odds, uh, and the company died, and two companies were birthed out of it. Uh, JWP Project, um, or Joshi Wrestling Project, I believe. But JWP Project was born with the more performer side of, of things, you know, the Diamond and Size, Cutie Suzuki's, uh, Mayumi Ozaki's, etc., etc. Well, whereas LOPW was born out of the shooter side of things, the Shinobu Kendori's, Harley Saido's, Eagle Suwai's, right? So I think we might see a bit more of that than the 97 Exodus. Um, ma mainly because, and, and Alex also corroborates this, mainly because I don't see stardom losing like 80% of their top two tiers of wrestlers, right? Their their mid their main eventers and their upper mid carters, I don't think they're going to lose, you know, 20 of them, right? Cuz let's be honest, stardom is a very strong main event uh main event, you know, scene and upper mid card scene. I don't think that they're going to lose every single member um of of those kind of tiers up there. But I do think they're going to lose a lot, right? I think this could be very great for the Joshi Wrestling ecosystem, quite frankly. Um, I think it's it's very interesting. Rossi Ogawa seemingly not being... He, he's led by different desires this time, it feels like. With with Stardom, which he began out of nothing, it wasn't, wasn't out of an exodus... Uh, after the 97 Exodus, of course, uh, Ogawa went on to start Arjian with Aja Kong. They had a falling out. It was a whole thing. That's besides the point. Uh, with starting Stardom, Ogawa wanted it to be 
it wanted to bring Joshi Wrestling back to its prominence and it wanted it to be the biggest promotion in the world. With what he's endeavoring on next, it sounds like those aren't his goals anymore. Um, it sounds like, and, and he specifically said it in his Tokyo Sports interviews, that there are issues, there are things you cannot do with a company that big, especially when you sell it to an even bigger company. Um, so I imagine that Rossi Ogawa probably has a ceiling of what he wants. I don't think he's looking to to sell out the Tokyo Dome in his with his next venture, with his next company, his presumed company that, that will begin, be beginning. I don't think that's his plan. What I do think is I think that he loves making stars. And I think he loves being a booker and he loves making a company as successful as possible. But I don't think he will, I use this term a bit loosely, you know, it's, it's a bit, I don't think he's willing to sell, sell his soul to the devil again uh, in terms of, you know, oh, I want this company to succeed so bad. I need to get to the Tokyo. I need to do this, this, and this that I will sell to a company that eventually will kind of usurp me out of the company. I think he won't be looking for that anymore uh, this time around. Which means there will be a, a major alternative, right? A major independent alternative from the sounds of things. Again, most of this is all speculation, but I do find that very fascinating. Like, what does a, what does a 2015, 2016, 2017 stardom look like right now with stardom still existing just with the lessened roster right with tjpw being on its game where it's at right now with with actress girls where it's at with you know a lot of these indies kind of like struggling i also wonder how it affect that part of the ecosystem you know will will rossi be looking to <laughs> bankrupt wave i don't think so but you know you got to imagine he wants to book kazuna right somebody who's he's seen as a future star since the second that that he watched her wrestle and was told she was going to be a future star since the moment she was born you know her her father told rossi ogawa hey this girl is going to be your world champion like you got to expect that he wants to use some of these people on the indies will he be more collaborative you know or will he be more predatorial Again, that, that might come off as like a negative, but you have to admit, as Rossi was growing stardom, he was more looking to succeed than to help rise the tides. You know, that was just part of that was just the cool part of of being the promoter and the booker and the owner of stardom was seeing your, you know, old acquaintances, old friends and their companies thrive a little bit more than they had during the dark ages. But I do wonder genuinely whether or not he will be a bit more collaborative here or or if he will be kind of, you know, quote unquote, poaching from some of the other independent companies in in Joshi Wrestling. I do. And while I say that, I do expect both companies to bring in more independent wrestlers. I think that Bushiroad will probably want to sign Ano to a fuller time contract. I imagine they will be they will both companies will be trying as hard as possible to be training a lot of wrestlers very quickly so that they can fill up their cards, fill up their ranks, right? I find it very fascinating. I'm, I'm interested in where we're going with this. Um, I imagine because this is such a developing story that next week we will know so much more than we do 
right now. I'm sure in two days I'll know a lot more than I do right now, right? Like, I, I, I find this very, very interesting. I'm excited to see how it plays out. I don't know what it means for this show because, um, like, hey, I, I don't think that stardom is going to die by any means. Like, I don't. It's it's very hard for a promotion to die. I think people don't recognize that. <laughs> like, outside of, like, extreme circumstances, it's incredibly difficult to fuck up that bad. Especially in Stardom's case, where they are a pretty healthy promotion. You know, they're owned by the owners of the biggest Japanese wrestling promotion. You know, like, I think they will be, relatively speaking, okay. However, I don't know if they will continue to be booked at the level that they have in the past, right? Uh, a lot of people will say, depending on how you feel, a lot of people will say, oh, 2019 was the peak of, of Rossi Ogawa's booking. Whereas some people will say, oh, 2022 was the peak of Rossi Ogawa's booking. Rossi Ogawa isn't going to be booking anymore. So outside of, you know, the, the oversight Bushi Road provided last year, we don't know what it's going to look like going forward, especially with Taro Okada, who just joined this side of the company in November, right? Like, and, and Oyama, who I don't like, has never booked a wrestling show before. Like, quite frankly, like, regardless of like whether or not he's a big wrestling fan, I believe Okada was said to have ran a, a wrestling club in college. You do have to question whether or not they are fit to be full-time bookers and what they can do with this company not only as novices but also with an impending exodus happening um and i personally believe that while melter has said that march will be when most contracts expire i wouldn't be surprised if there's a few outliers um i don't know if you will see the full effects of this until you know, next January, next March. Um, and then whenever Mayu gets, you know, her, her contract expires, what we will see from her or from people who she might have cultivated a relationship with by then to also persuade to potentially go to Rossi's company. A lot can happen in, in a year. A lot can happen in fucking six months for that matter. You know, we, we will see. But those are just some of my thoughts on this. It, it, was, it was a lot of rambling because I don't have somebody to bounce off of. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed. And yeah, if, if you want, man, I'm I'm always down to talk. If if you want to join the Five Star Network Discord channel, I am usually in there in the in the Star Quest channel talking about these sorts of things. So um, yeah, go go to Five Star Network co, which I should have done the plugs earlier. But go to Five Star Network co um to check out the articles and the podcasts, and also go on the Twitter. Um, at Five Star Network to find the Discord link. Um, if you can't find it there, you could probably ask pretty much anybody who is associated with the network, and they will give you a link to the to the channel. Because I'm usually in there talking about this type of stuff. Um, you know, it, it's always fun to speculate, but I would rather not, you know, make a list of people who I think, oh, she's definitely going, and oh, she's not. I don't think that this show is is what is is where i should be doing that so i might do it somewhere else you know i'll at least have the conversations about it but yeah we'll see and we'll see what the future is for star quest like i said it's called star quest 
maybe we'll be we'll be you know covering Ross's company at some point uh, because maybe that'll be delivering more of what we want and what we need as wrestling fans. Uh, we'll see. It's it's a turbulent time in wrestling. It's a turbulent time for for all of us, I would say, and it's just. It never stops. You know what I mean? That's the beauty of pro wrestling. It's the never ending story. And perhaps the biggest story in one of my favorite promotions of all time has just dropped this past week. And I hope you enjoyed this little sew up. So, this chamber of reflection, so to speak, uh, featuring yours truly, Dylan Murray. Um, I guess it's time to close the show. Uh, if there's nothing else to say, I, I think I'm pretty pretty done i don't even know if this will release i might i might cower it out and make somebody else record with me um and and just suffer through it you know what we'll see but if this does reach your ears and if it does you know tickle your fancy i hope you enjoyed as i said 17 times since then um (laughs) it's time to close the show if you want to stand you may stand if you want to sit you may sit believe today shine tomorrow you decide what you believe in Matinee, I don't even